your second morning and, and uh, speak from the Word of God. It's, uh, I never get over my nervousness, so bear with me. Um, I really appreciated the, the break of the bread this morning, especially David's words there where he mentioned that um, we, we many times have, have words, but they can't express the fullness of, of, of God's Word. Um, it's, it's a real privilege to have God's word. And, and when we look at that hymn, Standing on the Promises, the reason why I, I asked um, Ime to, uh, to open with that hymn was several weeks ago, we sang that hymn in the morning. I think it was a Sunday morning. We sang that hymn, Standing on the Promises. And as we sang that, and, I, and I've sung that hymn, I'm sure, hundreds of times, but that morning... It really spoke to me, and, and I know it's been the experience of, of most of us at some time or another, you either sing a hymn or you open up a passage of scripture, something that you've read many times, you're quite familiar with, and all of a sudden it takes on a whole new dimension for you. And it, it's not that it's a, a new truth to you or anything, it's like looking at perhaps a two-dimensional picture and all of a sudden you see it in three dimensions. And God just seems to open up something to you that, that um, that, that speaks to you. And as I sang that, as we looked at that hymn that morning, it's almost I, I saw something in the larger larger picture about the promises of God. So what I thought I'd do this morning, is, uh, this, morning this evening, is, is just take us through some thoughts I've had on the promises of God, looking at God's promises to us, and, and perhaps hopefully you'll glean something from it as I have as well. But just by way of, of, install, of illustration, um, I was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and after you know, after you're in that city for 48 hours, you just want to, you just want to get out. So Janice and, and I, after we had, I had meetings down there, and after Janice and I were through the meetings on the weekend, my sister, my sister-in-law and her husband flew down and met us there, and we, we went to see the Grand Canyon, and we we did it by helicopter. And as we were, as we were flying up over. I don't know if you know the area of Las Vegas. It's actually built in a, ba it's in a basin, and it's about 600 square miles. And, and when they originally settled that area, it was because I guess it was, well, Las Vegas means the meadows. There was an area, it was a grassland, and as they took the cattle through, that's where they watered the cattle. So it, it's a very limited area. And since 1970, that population of Las Vegas has doubled every 10 years, every decade. So now the greater area, there's about 2 million people. So you have this basin surrounded by hills. So as we were flying out of the basin, we noticed all the houses were almost right to the edge. And my brother-in-law said to the pilot, he said, I imagine they'll start building on the hills next. And he said, he looked at Wayne and said, no, they won't be building on those hills because those hills are very unstable. Not only that, but there's about eight faults, seven or eight fault lines through that Las Vegas area. In fact, Nevada has higher uh, earthquake risk than California. So there's only a limited area. And many of you may have saw Hamilton this past week, the landslides across the highway. So all of us, we want solid ground to be standing on. So standing on the promises of God, that hymn, we want to be on solid ground. And obviously that's the promises of God. I've always thought, of this hymn is reminding me that as I face the storms of, of this life, I have the promises of God to rely on or to stand on, to carry me through by faith through this life, and, and that's it. 
But what struck me this time as I looked at this hymn was that the writer had more in mind than this. The promises that he was referring to are not just the promises that I'll be standing on for time, but these are promises that encompass all that we'll experience throughout eternity. They're promises that extend into eternity. They're promises that bind us, and you'll notice that, that phrase, that bind us to Christ eternally. I love strong core. We're bound to him eternally. And it's what makes him, and we sang this hymn this morning, which was interesting because I, I had thought of this last night as well. It makes him our hope on earth and our joy in heaven. Take the name of Jesus with you. That beautiful hymn was the first one we hang, sang this morning. So this evening, I'd like to just share a few thoughts on the promises of God, and hopefully they'll encourage you as well as they, they have, have me. One thing you'll find is that there are a great many promises in the word, word of God. And, and, and one would expect this in our Christian faith because it's a faith that's based on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace of God. And grace is based on promise, is it not? God's undeserved favor to us, the many promises he's made to us. Second Peter 1.4, it, it speaks of whereby we're giving we are given exceeding great and precious promises. Exceeding great, I, th I think that refers to both in number and in type. A great number of promises and great in the type of promises that they are to us. You know, there's promises. All of us have probably seen those promise books where we have a list of promises God that's made, like there's one in time of discouragement, one in time of job of lost job you know many many promises and and not to diminish their value or anything they have their place but their helpfulness rests upon knowing the one who makes the promises the promise maker understanding and experiencing his trustworthiness the nature of God's promises and the one overarching promise that all of God's promises flow out of who he is his character so that's going to be the, the focus as we look at, at this subject. Now, in, in the scriptures, a promise contains, when we look at that word promise, it contains the idea of a covenant or a contract and a pledge with a blessing to the beneficiary. There's the expectation that the terms will be respected and carried out exactly as stated. And it can be seen as a, a commitment made by someone, and it's mediated by someone and inherited by someone. So we, we have in, in the Bible, we have man-made promises and we have promises that God makes. And all promises are considered binding on the part of the person that makes them. Now, man-made promises, just look at those for a minute. We, we've all experienced them, but they're subject to one, one issue, and that's the problem of human frailty. When someone makes you, you a promise... You intuitively, you make a judgment when that person makes you a promise on the validity of that promise by what you know about that person. You know, you, you look at their character. You look at the resources that they have. You look at the uh, level they, of influence that they have over the circumstances that, that are involved and about the other people that it may involve in that judgment as well. And you, you also look at their past performance their ability to read the past and read current trends. So when you, whenever someone makes you a promise, you make all those judgments. But with God, his promises are not limited in any way, but are always consistent 
his promises will be consistent with his character and with his purposes. And him being the sovereign God over all the universe, he can make it happen. If he makes a promise, it's going to happen. He's perfect in justice. He's perfect in love. And any promise that he makes will be for our well-being or the person to whom it's directed. So as believers, it's important for us to get to know God through his word, to spend time getting to know him in his word. How fast or solidly that you hold on to a particular promise of God is usually related to how well you know the one that made those promises. Now God's promises, if, if, we, if we go through the scriptures, they, they're, there's a number of temporal promises and then the spiritual promises. And many of the promises to Israel, if you go through the Old Testament, of course, were temporal in nature. They related to the land, his promises regarding the land of to his people, their prosperity, their, their restoration when they were taken into captivity. And these, pr these temporal promises, though, were just as certain as any other promises that, that God made. And, and, of course, why is that? Because they, like the others, are bind were binding on the one who made them and contingent on his ability to fulfill them. And that's why there can be no doubt that those that, are yet, that haven't been fulfilled yet will be fulfilled in their in their completeness again past promises kept and and this is why it's important to us to understand and and to spend time in the old testament as well as the new is that god's promises and faithfulness to israel are a guarantee to us of his faithfulness to us as well another important aspect of the promises of god is to be aware to whom a particular promise applies as well if I make a promise, let's say, to David over there, the rest of you can't assume that it applies to you, can you? Yet, I mean, I, I do have the freedom to make a promise to someone without making a promise that promise to, to everyone. Yet many Christians try to apply every promise that God makes in the Bible directly to themselves. If you look at Joshua 1, 8, and 9 for a moment, we have a passage there that, that is a very specific point in time in the history of, of Israel. Moses has just passed away, has just gone on to be with the Lord. God has taken him. And Joshua is now the leader of, of, the, of the people of Israel. They're about to cross into the Jordan. And God, in speaking to Joshua, he says this. He makes this promise. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Very specific promise to Joshua and the people at that time. So that promise was made to Israel at the time of Josh, Joshua as they went to enter and conquer the promised land. And it was a very specific promise for a very specific people at a very specific time. It's not a promise to me, but there are things that I can learn and apply to my life and situation from this. I, so, I see through that promise how God kept, keeps his word. I see through how what happened when, when his people failed, but he was faithful. And when God, when I, when I 
when I approach God's word, I know more about who he is and what he is like. Now, if I make a promise again to, to David and I keep it, and let's say I keep, make a promise to Ken here and, and I keep that as well, and eventually a, a pattern emerges. I, I, I you know, fail once or twice here and there, but if my um, pattern is to, is to keep, keep my promises, then for the most part, I'll be seen as being a reliable person. But with God, we have the historical record of God's word where we see his consistency under every circumstance. God has never failed has never failed in the keeping of a promise. He will keep his word. One has said there's 30,000 promises in the scripture. Now, I've never, I, I, I wouldn't challenge anyone to try and count them, but that's what they say, 30,000 promises. And if there was only one promise that God has not kept or will not keep, then you could argue that God is not the sovereign God of the universe. But God is faithful. True, there will. There are those that will claim that God either does not exist or doesn't keep his promises. And, and if you look at 2 Peter 3.9, there's a passage there regarding the end time, the, the latter days, the end times, even the times we're in now where, where Peter says, knowing this, so if you look at 2 Peter 3.9, he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully, willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world which then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there will be those that will question God's faithfulness. We've, we've run into those people all the time, don't we? Well, where is the promise of his coming? But there's a fallacy to their argument. You'll notice, first of all, there that they willfully forget God's past consistency. What about the flood? We already have a record for anybody who honestly looks, a record of, of, com of co coming judgment. We also have a record that God is long-suffering, that God is postponing his judgment for a very, very reason, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come to repentance. That was the record during the flood at the time of Noah as well. If you remember Methuselah, his very name is a testimony to God's um, forbearance. His name meaning that that the that exact meaning implied that God was postponing that time until after Methuselah's days were, were done. And Methuselah, of course, was the oldest man that ever lived. So even at that time, God postponed his judgment. 
so they willingly forget God's past consistency and fail to understand his character of justice and compassion. God's promises cover one every aspect of our life, but there is one very important thing to note. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, and this is essential for us to understand regarding God's promises. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us, us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God and also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All of the promises of God in, in him, in Christ, are yes and in him, amen to the glory of God. All the promises of God flow out of Christ, in other words. As the passage is said, they find their yes and their amen in him. And as believers, we have been established in Christ. We've been bound to Christ, as the hymn says, bound to him eternally by love's strong cords, overcoming daily. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee until that day of redemption. This is why we can stand on the promises. You'll notice that many times in the Bible we see the term, the promise. Um, not promises, but we see the term, the promise. If you have a chance to go through your concordance sometime in the next week, just look at all the times you just see that term, the promise, the promise. And you will notice that it's clear from the context that the promise refers to God's promise to send his son as the redeemer. It's all through Peter's writings, through Paul's writings. Just a couple of examples. If you remember in, 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 the, in Acts, right after the time of Pentecost, when Peter stands before the crowd and gives that, that, uh, the message to, 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 the, to the nation of Israel that had just, just um, crucified their Messiah. And he, says, and he says to them, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus, after John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took, down, took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen by many seen for many days by those who came up from him with him from Galilee to Jerusalem that who are his witnesses to the people and we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled this for us their children in that he raised up Jesus and as it is written in the second song psalm you are my son today I have forgot I have begotten you that promise. And then that we, we see the same thing coming from the lips of Paul when he stood before Agrippa later in the book of Acts. And he says, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise. 
made by God to our fathers, the promise. To this promise are 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? And finally, Paul to the Romans, just in that first verse, he says, Paul, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. These are just some of the verses that support that all of the promises of the God are found in Christ. All of the promises. As you go through the New Testament, and as you look at every one of the promises, they're all tied to Christ, every one of them. They all flow out of who he is and our relationship to him. And they all, all the blessings we have come out of that relationship. Therefore, all God's promises, including his promises to me, are in alignment with his ultimate will. Knowing this, you know, then promises such, of, such as Romans 28, 828 makes sense. You know, sometimes someone's going through difficulties and, and that verse is brought up and, and you almost feel like, you know, it's, it's just words, you know, it's kind of, maybe that's not the place to, you know, just to say the, um, as, as we often hear, all things work together for good, you often hear. But when you just read that verse alone, you, you have to look at the context. And if you look at the context of that verse, it, 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 it's a wonderful verse. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then the why, for whom he foreknew. And this is a promise. That's why. This is a promise. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All things work together for the good for those who love God. Why? Because his ultimate purpose for us is to conform us to the image of his son. He has promised to do that. That's the promise that we can stand on. That he, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, more than that, that's not enough. He's he's almost saying that's not enough, is it? (laughs) Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And if you look at the tense of these verbs concerning God's purposes for you, they're written as though they're already accomplished. And that's because his promises, standing on the promises, they're secure. Because as promises of God that flow to Christ's finished work, they're accomplished in him. Another one of those well-known, and and now these are just thoughts. They're they're connected, I hope, but these are just thoughts as I look at some of the promises of God. And they are all tied to the the fact that they all flow out of him and and the fact that um, he is the the source of all the promises of God. But if you look at John 14, 1, 3, and this is one of those verse passages that I've, I, I've always loved because it, 
I remember my grandmother and um, she passed away a number of years ago and I was just a new Christian at the time but this was her favorite verse this her favorite passage let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go and prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also and then right after that there's that revolution that exclusive revolutionary statement where Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me except through me again all our hope all our expectation rests upon the Lord Jesus Christ so when we are facing times of difficulty yeah it's nice to have have a, a verse to hang your hat on but if we don't rest ourselves on the person of Christ then then we then we're missing the boat as it says again in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are found in him. Titus 1.1 says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Look at the emphasis. He says, the promise is from God. It's a promise. And the one who makes that promise cannot lie. It's, it's a certainty. I, I'm, I often, uh, when I looked at that, why does it even have to say which God who cannot lie? Isn't it enough to just say that God promised? But it's, the emphasis is it's, it's a sure thing. God who cannot lie. It's, it would be against his very character. It's a, it's a certainty. And then he has given to us, or to Paul was saying, it's been given to me through the, the privilege of preaching or declaring this message to those who, who have yet to hear. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, another verse that I've often, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've, I'm very familiar with that, that statement. But look at the context that we find it in. It's in the context of, of, of being satisfied. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Why? Because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, you know, we're not poor. We've got the riches, all the riches of heaven. And we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. 
You are all sons of God, sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, were bound to him eternally. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then we are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. None of us have one earthly advantage over another. We're all one in Christ. And as it says here, according to the promise. This is another one of those statements, the promise. We are Abraham's seed by faith. According, as it said, according to not what I've accomplished, it's not what I've done, not what anyone else has done. No, it's according to the promise. In Romans 4.21, and being fully convinced of what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now that's speaking of Abraham, of course. Abraham's faith accounted to him for righteousness. Did Abraham falter? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Several times. But his, yes, his path was that of increasing faith because he was convinced that he who promised was able. What about you and I? You know, are we standing on the promises? In other words, are we standing on Christ as our all in all? I know um, as I look back at that hymn again, standing on the promises of God. Many times we want to take little bits and pieces of God's word and, and apply them to ourselves, but standing on the promises, we have, we have security whenever, when we're in the word of God, we're in the will of God. And when we're, when we're in the will of God, we have no fear, as it says in, in the verse we just quoted. So let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we... We thank you that we, we have a Savior who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. We have a Savior from whom all blessings and promises flow. We thank you that we have an eternal salvation, that he was willing to lay down his life for our sin. We, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we thank you, Lord, that we are now children of God. That we are the recipients of blessings untold. As David spoke on heaven this morning, we, our minds can hardly fathom what is in store for us because of what Christ has done. Lord, we just pray that we might be faithful to him. That we might allow you to mold us to be into the image of Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians, as one gazing in a, in a glass, that we might be conformed to that image of, of Christ from moment to moment as we gaze into your word, that we may see him as he is and that it may have that effect in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.